it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. I mean, what's my football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slings. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo here with Trevor Sikama in for the uh, ill Sam Monson. I'm over here grinding it out, but Sam's skipping it maybe tomorrow too with his illness. Thanks, Trevor, for being here. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Trish trying to pick up the team while everybody else is feeling a little down. You know, we were all in Vegas for Super Bowl Media Week. And, you know, right before we left for Vegas, kind of heard that, you know, the cold, maybe COVID variant was kind of making its way around. I was like, hmm, all of us being in the same giant room. This is this is going to go over really well. So uh, obviously, wish Sam and I know Brad's not feeling great either. Uh, hope those guys have a speedy recovery and get back to the content very, very soon. Look at you. You're so much nicer than me. You're over there wishing them health. I'm, you know, making fun of Sam for, for not being here. Well, um, you know, I'm wishing him health because... He's got to get back to the show. You know, I got to think, I got to, I got to get back to the draft guide. I got stuff to do. So, you know, it's a little selfish in, in itself. So what, where, where are you in the draft guide? What are you, what are you looking at right now? What are you grinding through right now? So, man, I'm working through the file, say like the final handful of um, reports that we're going to have for the first edition of the draft guide, which is going to come out, I believe the Monday of combine week or at least combine week something around there and we might have some editing things some graphic things that we've got to move here and there but during combine week the first edition of the draft guide i believe is supposed to go live so um i'm going through quarterbacks right now i started that yesterday so going through not only the final film evals but a lot of the trait evals as well you know player comparisons if they come to mind really quickly for me systems that they fit in all the detailed stuff so like we've talked about some of the things that we like and dislike about these players. And obviously we've watched film on them and have the big board rankings and things like that. But the draft guide is much more detailed. We give you guys so many different premium and contextualized stats, the trait breakdowns, the trait grades for these guys. And so it's a lot more stuff that'll go into the draft guide. And I'm super, super excited for it to come out in a couple of weeks. I'm excited for it too. Love it. So we'll have that first edition, like you said, combine week. Can't wait. And it's uh, no, it's always good to just catch up, see where uh, where you're at right now. Um, today, we're talking about the top ten picks in the draft, and we're going to do a best case scenario. There's nine teams picking in the top ten. Of course, the Bears have two picks, 
So we'll go team by team. We'll go pick by pick and uh, and give everybody a best-case scenario. But first, is 2024 bringing exciting or unexpected changes to your life? Well, here's a secret weapon to help you face those challenges with more confidence. It's a great-term life insurance policy. That's right. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it simple to protect your family's financial future so you can focus on what's ahead, knowing your family's protected if something else unexpected happens. Fabric was Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. And Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget, like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to coverage in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. That's meetfabric.com slash pffnfl. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash pffnfl. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, man, let's talk. Top of the draft. Chicago Bears at number one. What's their best case scenario? Is it Caleb Williams or is it something else? Yeah, so... Obviously, there's going to be a handful of names that I feel like we'll repeat a little bit here in the top 10. You and I will discuss a little bit of where every single team is. But just so people know, this isn't a mock draft. So, you know, if we're talking about a couple of these quarterbacks going to some teams there a little bit later, there's no like, no, you already picked that guy. Okay, well, hold on. It's best case scenario. And I'm going to keep it somewhat realistic. You know, I, I think that Caleb Williams is still going to be the first overall pick. That would be my choice here. I think that that is the ideal scenario. But, you know, if any of these other teams have shots at quarterbacks, whether it's in trading up or things like that, uh, we're going to discuss those scenarios. But I do think that the perfect spot for Chicago or the perfect pick for Chicago is still Caleb Williams. And it's easy for the team at the very top of the draft to um, pinpoint exactly what a best case scenario would be because they, well, fully control it. So I think some people would say, no, no, no. Best case scenario is trading back getting three first round picks, you know, again, like just a bunch of first round picks again, you know, moving back, building around Justin Fields, having like the greatest team that you possibly can. But look, uh, we saw it this past Super Bowl. You've got to go get a quarterback who can be a top five quarterback in the league or it's just it doesn't matter. And look, I I know the 49ers were right there. They were close. I think that Brock Purdy played fine. You know, you look at the team around him, it's just a team full of studs. That roster in the salary cap era is so, so, so good for the 49ers. They got one of the best play callers in Kyle Shanahan. And they ended up not being able to capture the Super Bowl because they were going up against not just a top five quarterback, but the number one quarterback. And so if you don't have a quarterback who can at least be in the same realm or conversation um, as somebody like that, you just it doesn't really matter how good the rest of the team is. I know it's a team sport, but that's just the fact of the matter and how good and important the quarterback position is. So all that to say, best case scenario for the Bears is you draft Caleb Williams and then he becomes your franchise quarterback because you get the rookie contract flexibility and I think he's got the potential to obviously be in that top five conversation. So that, to me, is the best case scenario. So I completely agree on Caleb Williams. And I think you're going to hear more of what you just said. We just saw the Chiefs win another Super Bowl, so you have to try to chase them and chase greatness and everything. And I, I don't even think that the Chiefs winning Super Bowls has changed that. I think this has been this has been the league for the last 30 or 40 years. You know, the, the quarterback is the biggest driver. And I think a lot of times when we when we talk analysis here, we do think about the, the high end outcome of the, of the, of the draft pick, right. And chasing, chasing potential greatness. And I think teams have to do that. 
And I do think Caleb Williams has all those tools and all that ability to, to be the greatest of this draft class. One thing I want to bring up, though, I've seen people do research or, or show research on, say, the number one overall pick versus pick two or beyond. And the number one overall pick is generally the better player, I would say. But I think that like those scenarios should almost be split into two. I, I think there's there's years where there's there is literally a consensus number one overall pick, right? The Andrew mm-hmm. Luck year. Everybody knew it was going to be Andrew Luck. Um, everybody knew it was going to be Kyler Murray. Everybody knew it was going to be Joe Burrow on the in the years that they came out. Then there's a year like last year where I think most people still had Bryce Young, but there was more debate. And of course, C.J. Stroud through one year looks better. There's other years like Alex Smith was not a consensus number one overall pick he just happened to be the guy at number one overall where do you where do you think this one lands I, I think Caleb Williams has been that consensus number one overall but now there's so, so many more voices in the space yeah and if you want to find it there'll be plenty of people that don't have Caleb Williams as their number one because there's so many people talking about these things yeah to me with Caleb Williams what it comes down to is a, a big part of this process that we don't get as much of and I or an ear for, and that is, you know, figuring out who he is as a person, right? I think there's been all sorts of rumors that have been flown around there, I think, over the last year about Caleb Williams' character. And to me, those have just been rumors because I've, you know, talked with people who are around or close to the programs, both at Oklahoma and at USC, who love the kid, who think he's fantastic. And so it's like, man, where this, oh, you know, he wants equity in the team or he's going to walk or always for sure going to say no to Chicago. He's like that to me has just been more rumors than anything else. So where, I think they're literally made up stories. I think I, 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 I think so too. Completely it, it, fabricated. It it feels like they are, and that's why the 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 side in which I have more tangible, credible sources are the ones that say, "No, he's a great dude. He's a hard worker. He's a competitor. He wants to win. He wants to be the best." Like all that. I've heard more tangible stuff there than I have the other stuff, which gets the major headlines because it's more negative. But I agree with you. I feel like. Uh, those might not even be a game of telephone. Those might be just completely made up. Anyways, as long as you interview Caleb Williams and you come away with the conclusion that, man, this dude wants to be great. He, he wants to be one of the greatest of all time. I, 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 he has the talent level to at least entertain that conversation. You know, there's a long way before you get to that point, but he has the talent to at least get into that conversation of a projection to potentially be a top five quarterback in this league, which is what is required to win a Super Bowl. So for me, I like Jaden Daniels. I like Drake May, but it's pretty clear that Caleb Williams is QB for me. All right, let's move on to the Washington Commanders at two. They need a quarterback as well. How would we describe their best case scenario? There's a lot of rumors that they might want to trade up for Caleb Williams for multiple reasons. Local guy, he is the consensus number one, I think, for most people. Cliff Kingsbury has just been hired in Washington. He was just working with Caleb Williams. So the rumors are just getting hotter and hotter that Washington would want to give up a haul to go from two to one. Yeah, I think that the best case scenario is, of course, Caleb, but that that comes with much more of a caveat and some context needed than the Bears just taking him at number one overall. For Washington, you would have to hope that the Bears either pass on him, which seems extremely unlikely at this point, or trades the pick and somebody else is moving up to then pass on Caleb Williams, which again seems pretty far-fetched to this point. So then you get to the more realistic scenario of, okay, is the best case scenario for Washington to come away with the best quarterback, which is Caleb, and that is just moving up from two to one. I don't know exactly what it would take because here's the thing. People can say, oh, you're only moving up one spot. 
and and there's obviously things that that go into Washington's favor when doing that. You're only moving down one spot. Obviously, you could still pick a quarterback that you like since they want a quarterback. But you you also would be bidding against teams that are going to be trading Chicago a lot more of a haul. So if Chicago's looking to move back, then they're probably not in on a quarterback anyways. So they probably don't even think they only have to go to two. So this all goes into it. Caleb is their best case scenario, but a more realistic scenario is to me taking Drake May or Jaden Daniels. You know, depending on what you want to do there, depending on who's going to work better with uh with with Cliff Kingsbury or who's going to be the better long-term guy. I still like Drake, but it it, it is still one of those guys. I think people talking about, oh, the, the best case is them, you know, trading up to number one. I don't know. I don't know if that's going to be the case because I wonder if the price is just going to be way too much and it's going to be crazy. So, hey, look, coming away with the best quarterback is what matters most anyway, so maybe that just overpowers all of the conversations. But to me, it is just quarterback. Caleb is that best-case scenario, and if the trade market is way too hot for it, getting one of these other two quarterbacks, there's just, to me, no other way that Washington could go here. Yeah, we talk a lot at PFF about the, the trade-up being a – Kind of a fool's errand if you're going to trade up for a non-quarterback. You know, over time, it's a really difficult proposition for two or three players to be worth one, unless it's a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the difference in this scenario is you're trading up. You already have a shot at a quarterback, right? You're already primed to get QB2, QB3, or, you know, your QB2, potentially. Maybe even your QB1, depending on how you rank them. Right. But you already have a chance at a quarterback. So then you're, if you're going to pay, as you mentioned, I think you laid it out well, it could be a haul even for one pick because of the competitive nature of other teams that need a quarterback and the fact that Caleb Williams, I think, is going to be highly regarded. You know, again, I just want to go back really quick. Jared Goff and Carson Wentz, 2016 draft. There was a debate about both of those guys, right? It was like a 50-50 Wentz or Goff, and the Rams went Goff. And you could say that the Rams made the right choice over time but there was a period where it didn't necessarily look like that. And actually, in the end, Dak Prescott was still probably the best quarterback of that 2016 draft. Right, and that was a debatable right. draft, right? Um, there was other debatable uh, 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 Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota. Yes. I think it was a legit debate between those two guys. And it ended up being debatable year after year. Who's better? Who's better? And then neither guy had a job after five years. I don't think there's as much debate here. So it is a high price for Caleb Williams in this draft and you already have a shot at the next couple quarterbacks which makes it interesting right i think from like washington's perspective I, i'm okay having a shot at the second quarterback and keeping my picks right that's what you're balancing up against the one shot at caleb williams i think that's okay so i'm with you i think drake may for washington i'm i'm, I'm seeing the surge man we talked about it last week the surge of Jaden daniels i'm not sure that i'm there yet but i think I'm gonna. I'm sticking with Drake May as my guy right here at two for Washington. Yeah, yeah, I agree with you. And it's basically the same conversation with uh, New England at three. Just moving on to number three, it's it's pretty much the best case scenario is honestly where they're sitting. Cert- again, however you have these quarterbacks ranked, your best case scenario is them coming away with the top quarterback. But it feels unrealistic at that point. Maybe it's as funny as it is to say this. Maybe it's more realistic that if Chicago is going to trade out a number one, they would do so to three instead of two because they could probably demand more out of New England and they would still be right there 
for Marvin Harrison Jr. Because if, again, if Chicago is moving on from number one, they're probably not going to take a quarterback. Because if they wanted to take a quarterback, they'd just stay at number one and they take the best one. So if they're moving from number one, they're looking in a different direction anyways. They would still need a major wide receiver. They would still want to get Marvin Harrison Jr. So it's kind of funny to put it this way. Okay, well, three is more viable than number two, but it might actually work out that way because they could get more in a haul for uh, for New England. So maybe New England entertains that. I think that certainly that new regime there is, well, I guess not new regime. It's a lot of the guys who are still there. But non-Bill Belichick-led uh, front office is is going to leave no stones unturned to try to get the quarterback that they possibly can because they can't go into next season with Mac Jones. Ultimately, I do feel like it's going to be Jaden that ends up being that QB3. The, the, the Drake May stuff is fascinating because it just felt like for a long time we were debating who do you take at one, Drake May or Caleb Williams. And now we're debating who do you take it to, Drake May or Jaden or Drake May or Jaden Daniels. And so that is to me a fascinating development at this point of the calendar because this is the time of year when a lot of the insiders, a lot of the people who have a lot of really great connections to the league, whether they're draft analysts or just NFL reporters, this is kind of the time when they start to turn the page. You know, certainly after the Super Bowl now, everybody's looking towards the offseason. So everybody's texting you know, like, you know, who are you going to pick? Like, what do you and obviously it's not as, you know, straightforward as that at this point, but the more we hear, the more it seems like Drake may be falling a little bit. So I, it's I'm kind of getting off on a tangent now to basically say best case scenario for the Patriots is actually right where they're at. And it's just staying at number three and taking a quarterback because there, to me, there's no other way that you go out of this draft uh, other than getting a QB in the first round of the top three. So I think, I think to answer the question, you and I both at the moment, like Drake may better than Jaden Daniels. So Mm -hmm. if I was new England at three, I think I would want, and again, picking a, Picking quarterbacks and predicting how good they're going to be, I do think it's 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 challenging, and I, I don't think anybody has a great track record. And you're only going to be rem- remembered for the pick that you actually make. You know, a team may have had Mahomes as their number one and Josh Allen as their number one and whatever. They may have had all the right draft board, but they never actually, you know, had a chance to pick those guys, and we'll never mm-hmm. really know. Yeah. So you're only as good as the pick. But I think if if we both have Drake May as our number two quarterback right now, I would want Drake May at three if I'm New England, right? Yes. Given that uh, context. Yes. Uh, the one thing I'll disagree with is if the Bears do trade down, I don't think that means that they're rolling with Fields and that they're Marvin Harrison Jr. I think that means somewhere in their evaluation, they're saying Caleb Williams and Drake May or Jaden Daniels are close. Mm, okay. And if, if, they're, if they're close from an eval standpoint, then I always talk about the balance sheet. We can have one Caleb Williams or we can have Mayor Daniels plus whatever else we're getting in this hall. And you put that balance sheet up against each other. And if the Bears can get two or three more players, plus maybe their second or third quarterback option, that's the debate. And I, whether they move to two or three, you know, they could have three similar grades on all three of them. Um, who knows? But I think for New England, to answer the question specifically here, I would say their best case scenario is Drake May. Yeah. Just because yeah. I like him a little bit more than Jaden Daniels at the time. I don't feel strongly about any QB opinions because I'm too smart for that, Trevor. Too much of that throughout the... You don't need to have, you know, stake in the ground quarterback opinions because 
we're looking for Super Bowl caliber quarterbacks, not just starters. We're looking for the elite guy. And good luck trying to predict the guy that's going to be a top six to eight guy in the NFL. Mm -hmm. I don't think anybody's been great at it through the years necessarily. Mm -hmm. So I'll say Drake May for New England at three as their best case scenario. That puts Arizona at four. What are the potential scenarios here for the Cardinals? This one to me is very straightforward and and the best case scenario is them coming away with with Marvin Harrison Jr. Now, that's I guess the way that I should say it is that's if they're sticking at four. You know, I've talked to some people over the last couple of weeks who have Malik neighbors as wide receiver one in this class. And going back to the same debate that you just kind of brought up or the same situation, I should say, with the Chicago Bears, maybe they trade down because they like all three of these quarterbacks very, very equally. There is a world that certainly could exist where maybe Monty Austin Ford, the general manager in Arizona, goes, we have top 10 grades on Marvin Harrison Jr., on Malik Neighbors, and on Romo Dunce. Now, last year, we watched them move from 3 to 12 and 12 to 6. Like, they, Austin Ford, and that was in Austin Ford's first year as the general manager. He's not afraid to play the NFL draft game and move up and down the board to get some extra picks, still come away with the guy that I ultimately feel like they were going to pick a three anyways in Paris Johnson Jr. They just did a little maneuvering and got some extra draft picks to do it three picks later at number six. I think that (laughs) I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is wide receiver one. And I think if you trade down from four, you're not going to get him anywhere else. But the best case scenario for them might honestly be, you know, trading four down to a seven. You know, like Tennessee needs a receiver. Maybe they want to go up and get Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, something like that, where you're moving down a couple of picks, you're staying in Romo Dunze and Malik Neighbors territory. You gain a couple of extra picks, and then you pick one of the wide receivers. It's going to be an all-pro anyways. But that's always a risky game in the draft to move away from a guy that you think is a sure thing because there's multiple guys that you think are sure things doesn't often happen that way with the NFL draft as much as maybe we think that it should. So I think a safer best case scenario is just take Marvin Harrison jr. But perhaps the true best case scenario is trading down, getting extra picks, still picking a dominant wide receiver and them basically turning into an all-pro form. So I feel like this conversation for Arizona at four, Chargers at five, teams that don't necessarily need a quarterback, it's going to be the same one. I, mm. I, I think there's always a best-case scenario where there's a trade down and there's a, an accumulation of picks. I think you're balancing that against getting a quote-unquote blue-chip player. This reminds me a little bit of the 2021 draft. That was Trevor Lawrence draft. Where at the top of the draft, there's Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance as the top three picks. And all the players, all the teams after that, like the Bengals at five, you know, that gave them a Jamar Chase. You know, Penny Sewell went to the Lions and Micah Parsons went to the Cowboys at 12. Those were blue chip. That was a year where it felt strong at the top and there was seven or eight non-quarterback blue chip type of players. And for every team that we talked about trading down, it's like trade down, but don't get out of blue chip range, right? Mm -hmm. Still get one of those guys. How many blue chip players do you think we look at by the time the the draft rolls around? We're talking about a couple, you know, a couple Man. of the wide receivers, the offensive yeah. tackles. Cause that to me, that's the debate. And I'm not you don't have to have a hard answer right now, but I think if Arizona trades down, accumulates picks, and I'll say the same thing for the Chargers, 
and can still get one of those quote unquote blue chip type of players, I think that would be the best case scenario. I it, for me though, it would be hard to pass up Marvin Harrison Jr. I, I I think the hype is legit for him. Yeah, with how good he is, and the impact that a number one wide receiver can have. And uh, by the way, I know I'm already seeing the rumblings that like the Chiefs are the blueprint. They traded the high end receiver and they won. It's like, no, no, no. The Chiefs are not a blueprint for anything. No, God, no, 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 no. Unless unless you have Mahomes, you have Andy Reid, you have Spags, who everybody's put into the Hall of Fame as defensive coordinator. You have Trent McDuffie, you know, like you have Chris Jones. You know, the Chiefs have added the most wins above replacement. For, of any team at the at non quarterback positions over the last six or seven years, they've done everything well, and they have Mahomes. I don't think there's a blueprint in Kansas City. No. So no. the receiver is very impactful. Uh, to answer the question, I'd say Marvin Harrison Jr. But I, I think that debate about trading down, still getting a blue chip, and accumulating assets is is a good one for both the Cardinals and then the Chargers at five as well. Yeah, I mean, you you ask, you know, how many blue chip guys there are. I think. You know, I, I, and this is kind of the first time this question has been posed to me like this, but I would say off the top of my head, I think Marvin Harrison Jr. is one. I think Malik Neighbors is two. I think Joel is three. Um, I think Romo Dunze is four. I'd tell you Brock Bowers is five. I, I know this, it gets a little tricky with the term blue chip because Bowers is undersized for a traditional tight end. He's going to be more of that like big slot tight end type of a player. But for how good he has been, truly an elite graded player over the last three years, like I would still say he's a blue chip. And then the sixth one I would throw in there is actually Iowa cornerback Cooper DeGene. Like I love Cooper DeGene, man. I I'm 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 super high on him. I think that he could be a impact starter outside. I think he could be an impact starter in the slot. I think he could be an impact starter at safety. To me, I think you can utilize him as a true chess piece. And and to me, that makes him a blue chip player to me. He's also, to me, he's got like no glaring weaknesses. Like if you want to say, all right, he's a little bit bigger. His feet are a little bit heavier. You know, the hips are a little, a little bit, a little bit slower to turn than it is for some of those smaller corners for an outside cornerback. I could go, okay, I see those as well, but I feel like his feet are so controlled. The power that he has to go up against press. I know he didn't do it a ton, but I think he has the ability to do it. He's a super competitive player. The ball skills are awesome. The forcing completions are great. The vision, how he keeps his eyes on the quarterback, how he baits throws. And then, of course, like what he does as a run defender, too. He's the best run defending defensive back, well, I should say corner specifically, that's in this draft. So to me, that that rounds out blue chip. So I would say uh, those guys are blue chippers to me. Yeah, and, and I I just bring that up because I think that's the type of conversation a team is having. They're not just trading down just to get the assets. They're trading down with some level of caution. We still want to make sure we're getting one of our top players, right? We still right. want to make sure we're not just going to trade down and give up a Marvin Harrison Jr. or Joe Alt. I mean, Joe Alt could be in play for Arizona. I love Joe Alt. I think he's the best tackle. T.J. Humphreys looks like he's starting to get a little bit older. They They drafted Paris Johnson last year. It could be a look-ahead move. It would not be a sexy pick for the Arizona Cardinals whatsoever, but I'm just saying like that type of player could be in play as well. Yep. Um, I'll say Marvin Harrison Jr. there. I'm interested in the Chargers at five. Now, it's funny because you have Justin Herbert, and if you're one pick away from potentially having Marvin Harrison Jr., now like my mind's going crazy. And right. I'm thinking, we have to compete with the Chiefs. <laughs> Do we actually go the other way? I hate trading up for players. I hate trading up for non-quarterbacks, but... We have Justin Herbert and maybe Marvin Harrison Jr. is there. I know Jim Harbaugh is coming over from Michigan and he's going to have to draft an Ohio State guy and all that fun stuff. But 
is that actually a play for the Chargers to move up one spot maybe to get Marvin Harrison? I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I think the best case scenario is Marvin Harrison Jr. for the Chargers. I do. I, but some and things I, happening, right? Some things th- happening to make him drop. Yeah, right? it, and I, I don't know if drop, but yeah, I just this is more realistic than I think people are willing to admit. And I'm, I'm not saying that Harrison's going to have like a fall or anything, but again, I talk to people, and most of them, let me be clear, have have Marvin Harrison Jr. as their wide receiver one. But there's a lot of people that you can tell like Romo Dunze or like Malik Neighbors, basically just as much. And they're saying it's it's pretty much a coin flip for me. And if it's a coin flip for analysts and if it's a coin flip for some of the people that have talked to the the uh, decision makers in the league, then I think that that might be the case for more teams in the league than we thought. Maybe Arizona is one of them. Now, Arizona is a team that just wants to get stars, and Marvin Harrison would be an immediate star for them, but... There's a world where Harrison Jr. could be a Los Angeles Charger. And I think that if we're doing this show saying what is the best case scenario, it's that he somehow ends up a Los Angeles Charger. And obviously they're not paying an an exorbitant price to be able to move up to get him. But I think there's a world where even they could stay at five and get him. Crazier things have happened, man. NFL draft is wild. So I would say Harrison Jr. is, is the best case scenario here. Again, I was going back to that 2021 draft. Kyle Pitts went number four to Atlanta. Cincinnati, the whole thing we debated that entire season was, you know, protect Joe Burrow with a tackle or my explanation, protect him with a receiver who gets open in Jamar Chase. Turns out both players are awesome, but I still think the Bengals take Jamar Chase at five over Panay Sewell, even if given another opportunity. Yeah, but they got Jamar Chase at five. And, you know, we'll see if Marvin Harrison Jr. is potentially available there when the Chargers have the quarterback theoretically to at least compete with the Chiefs in the AFC West, pairing pairing him with an elite wide receiver, whether it is Marvin Harrison Jr., whether you do believe in Malik Neighbors or Roma Dunze, either way, I think they're going receiver. Um, they invested so much in Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. They're both getting older. They're both uh, you know injury-prone. Uh, Allen was healthy last year for the most part, but he's still in you know, uber-possession type, right? He's a 10 yards per catch, move the chains type. We could get a big play receiver for Justin Herbert here at five. So I think choose your best receiver. Mm-hmm. That's your that's your best case scenario for the Chargers. And and because of that, I don't know if I would want to trade down or not unless I was assured of getting one of those top playmakers. I think that's your only chance of really competing with the Chiefs is that is that wide receiver. So 
How agree. about the Giants at six? Um, it's it's heavy rumor season here, Trevor. Mm-hmm. And the the teams that have been at least rumored or connected with trading up for a quarterback include the Giants at six, mm-hmm. the Falcons at eight, mm-hmm. the Vikings at eleven, the Broncos mm-hmm. at twelve, and the Raiders at thirteen. So everybody's trading up for quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. What's the Giants' best case scenario here at six? The, the Giants' best case scenario um, is. Uh, <laughs> Well, uh, again, it's it's quarterback. I mean, the the answer to this question, an easy answer to this question, is quarterback. Best case scenario, Chicago wants to get out of number one. You move up from six to one. You go get Caleb Williams. Uh, the second best scenario, Washington somehow has a divisional change of heart with new ownership, and like Questy Adafo Mensa did the other year, where he was what traded with the Detroit Lions. I think a couple of times, right? It was like, oh, well, that was that's supposed to be taboo, right? You never trade with the team within your division, but they ended up getting a deal done, and like that's the second best case scenario. And then the third best case scenario is they trade up with New England. New England, let's say, only likes two of the top three quarterbacks in this class. When they get to number three, they like a lot of the receivers. They want to move back. No matter how you slice it, the best case scenario for the New York Giants is to draft a quarterback, one of these top three quarterbacks. I'm not a Daniel Jones guy. I I, I really have not been for basically the entirety of it. There have been flashes where you go like, okay, like Daniel Jones, is he picking it up here? But to me, they've only been flashes. And uh, going back to the very first conversation that we had when we started this exercise, the goal, if you don't have one, is to get a quarterback that is considered a top five quarterback in this league. For as much as you want to try to you know, jump through hoops and look at different numbers and look I, and try to defend the Daniel Jones contract or where the Giants were when they made that decision, I don't think there is anybody in football that would tell you that Daniel Jones is going to become a Super Bowl winning quarterback based off of what we've already seen. So with that being the case, their best play is to go up and try to get another player who might be that. And that's this best case scenario for the Giants. And that's honestly the best case scenario for the Falcons, too. If I mean, we're basically handling those two you mentioned, they're right there in the top 10. We're going to talk about the Falcons soon in a little bit, but it's the same conversation with them. Their best case option, going to number one, going to number two, going to number three. That's basically what it is for me. The Daniel Jones pick, because at the time I didn't love it. You know, he goes, what, six overall? Six, yeah. And they're at six right now. I didn't love it at the time. And he turned out to be even better than I thought. But again, the goal is, you know, a game changer. This game changer, game manager discussion. But basically a top five, top eight type of quarterback. That that just increases your odds of winning. Daniel Jones is the perfect example of a guy that has become a solid NFL starter. Um, he's, you know, he'll have years where he's dead smack average. I think he had a year where he was above average. They make the playoffs. He's had years where he was below average. The goal is not to find a every other position. It's okay to find a starter. Like if you find a starting tackle and he's not elite, he still brings value to your team. Mm-hmm. If you find a starting caliber quarterback and he's not elite and he's just dead smack average, you're you're kind of in no man's land, right? You might be able to win when he's on a rookie contract. You might be able to make a little bit of a playoff run if you make so many other good moves or do something like the Niners where you have an elite play caller and elite playmakers and elite defense, then you make a Super Bowl run. But if you don't do all those things, it's a challenge. So that's why the, and and then the Giants, of course, made the mistake of extending Daniel Jones. So that's why they're in this position. I'm with you. Uh, now there's downside. This is just like having fourth down decisions, Trevor. 
I want to go for it on fourth down because it increases my win probability. Yes. Mm-hmm. If you miss, it also increases your loss probability. If you do, but it's like a, if you sit there and do nothing, what are you doing? Right. And if you're the Giants and you're sitting there doing nothing and you're trying to overtake the Cowboys and the Eagles and you're just going to roll with Daniel Jones and try to build the team around him, he's also not even locked up that long into the future. So seeing the Giants make a move for quarterback makes sense. If you want to skip the Titans and talk about the Falcons at eight, really quick, we could circle back to the Titans. Mm-hmm. Is it the same scenario? Or is it, are they a team that their best case scenario is they get a Kirk Cousins locked up in free agency, then they can just yeah. pick the best player at eight. Can we cheat and, and kind of look forward to that? Yeah, I thought about that before we had started the show. That's That's the one team that I think maybe makes the most sense here to bring that into the conversation. And I know this is a common like Justin Fields landing spot when we try to project where Fields is going to go next, but I don't I I don't know if even though I don't hate the fit, I don't hate the idea of Fields in Atlanta. I don't think I would sit here and say like, yeah, 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 this is best case scenario for for Atlanta to go get Justin Fields and there's still a massive risk even going to get him. Uh even though even if there's promise, it's not anything that's super solidified. So yeah, I, I do kind of feel as though if they can sign a Kirk Cousins, now, you know, we just had the conversation. If if you're if you're not elite, what are you? But for the Falcons specifically, they're not in range to go get a quarterback and not in a situation where they can go get a quarterback. I think their best case scenario is still getting one of these top three young guys to me, because you want to invest in them, you want to have a rookie contract, you have, want to have all that. But then the next best case scenario is probably signing a Kirk Cousins. Now, obviously, the timeline doesn't work exactly like that. You don't know that you're going to strike out for one of these top three picks probably by the time that you have to sign Kirk. But if it's not drafting one of the top three guys, it's probably signing Kirk, drafting a pass rusher at eight, and then probably a wide receiver with the second-round pick, and depending on what happens with Calvin Ridley and the Jags, maybe you have two second-round picks, right? Because that's, I think, a stipulation that's in um, that trade that happened, uh, what was it, a year ago, two years ago? So you have some flexibility there. And if you go get Kirk Cousins, you might then have three top 50 picks or three top 60 picks, which could really, really help your team. You can get some defensive guys. You can go get a wide receiver at the top of the second round. Maybe you go. Maybe even draft a Malik Neighbors here, and you go get an edge rusher at the top of the second round. So there's a lot of flexibility that you have there. To me, I think the situation's less dire than it is for the Giants, who I think basically are in a. You just have to go up and try your best to go get a quarterback in this draft, or else, yeah, like you said, you're in danger of just being completely in no man's land and maybe that regime not being the Giants regime much longer. So the conversation for Atlanta is a little bit different. I still think the best case scenario is one of those younger quarterbacks. But there are other scenarios where you could go, we can live with this. We can win yeah. with this, if you will. So that's kind of the way that I see Atlanta. It's interesting because I think the the Brady Mahomes, you know, just their presence has changed the conversation so much. There was a there was a stretch excuse me, where there were mid-tier, upper mid-tier quarterbacks winning Super Bowls and everything. Um, Doesn't all happen of a sudden, anymore. Not a thing. Well, it, just recently it hasn't been happening, right? <laughs> right, it's right. Weird. It just, we, we we were having that conversation in Vegas. Like, how how crazy is it that we went from 
you basically having to fear Brady and Belichick for 20 years, like doing things to try to outdo them for 20 straight years. And then now we just go straight into the month. The Mahomes era, and it's like there was no, there was no in between of like, all right, we got a little parody going on, you know, like oh, Joe Burrow wins one, oh, Josh Allen wins one, oh, Lamar wins one. Like we didn't even have that. It just we went straight from Brady right. to Mahomes, and like here we are. I predicted a few years ago that that would be the case, that that you would have a more wide open NFL. I did not know that Mahomes would in, in the Chiefs. I mean, it's really it's the Chiefs organization too. Like the sure. whole thing, yeah, yeah, has come together. But Mahomes being the, the the most important part of that, of course, I, I had predicted that it would be more wide open. So it's interesting, like, if you are the Falcons, I, it's probably not attractive to say, like, we have to get Kirk Cousins, right? Like, Cousins is also the guy that other teams are trying to get away from because you have to get better, right? So we're having both sides of these conversations. Mm-hmm. But Cousins has played good ball the last couple of years. And, look, not everybody, not every move is going to directly put you in position to win a championship. All I'm saying is if Kirk Cousins is in Atlanta and then they can add one more receiver, like with the receivers that are going to be available there, have a receiver to go with Drake London, to go with Kyle Pitts, to go with B. John Robinson. The second way to win when you don't have Mahomes or Brady is to get a good enough quarterback and load up on playmakers the way San Francisco has and have a great play caller. We'll see what Zach Robinson can do, our friend Zach. But that, to me, that's that scenario that Atlanta's trying to build. They had a really good underrated defense last year. And if they could load up on playmakers, have a good distributor like a Kirk Cousins play there, you know, they have a shot. And if Mahomes didn't exist, that'd be a more attractive option, right? It's like, you never know if Kirk Cousins could go on a run. You never know who's going to go on a run any given year. Jordan Love's going to go on a run. Whoever it is, it would be more attractive. But, like, again, the alternatives aren't great. Because, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. If I could get a younger quarterback, that's the one. That's the play. I just don't know if Atlanta's going to be able to get up that high to do it. So, yep. either yep. way, some sort of quarterback situation here for Atlanta. I'm just intrigued with Cousins plus receiver, you know, in, in, in loading up on playmakers down there. Yeah, Cousins plus Odunze or Neighbors is very appealing. I, I think that that would immediately make them – with, with all of the staff losses that Tampa has had, um, and depending on what happens in free agency, like I think that Cousins and and Malik Neighbors pretty much makes the Falcons favorites to win that division, um, given what's kind of happened with the Bucks already with their coaching staff. So that's the other weird part about this. Like, there's there is value in just winning the division. Like Bucks, Bucks fans feel pretty good about this season, right? You won a mm-hmm. division, you won a playoff game, you finished in the final eight. It's not a championship, but We've also lived in this world where 31 fan bases are upset every single year and <laughs> want to overhaul everything. Like, it's okay to just, you know, win a division, have a good season yeah. as a starting point. All right, let's go back to the Titans at seven. How would you classify their situation and what their best case scenario could be? Joe jo All is best case scenario for me. Um, and it's very clear. 100%. Like, they need a wide receiver. I get it. You know, Titans fans have, have gone back and forth with some of them, you know, talking about all the wide receivers that they could pick and things like that. But it's just... I think offensive line is so dire for that team. You have the opportunity to pick Joe Walt, who is a, to me, a blue chip prospect in this class. You have him next to Peter Skaronsky on that left side. And all of a sudden, like left side of that offensive line is really good. And I think it's going to take some investments over the next couple of years, but very clearly like this is a team that's turning the page in a lot of ways. We didn't really think that Mike Vrabel was going to be out. Um, and here we are. 
new head coach Callahan's in there. And so I think offensive line has to be the top tier scenario for them. Just because if, if you are rebuilding a team, you want to do it with quarterback, obviously, but yeah, they drafted Levis. Levis showed some nice things last year. Next, it's to me the offensive line, especially getting better from how bad it looked last season. Well, you're muted. Certainly am. <laughs> I'm back. Uh, I didn't want you to. to I didn't want you to waste the rant. You know, I saw you. Thank I saw you. you nodding for Joe Alt, and I was like, Nah, the people I'm, need to hear this. I'm all in on Joe Alt. I love that. I love that pick. I mean, I was. I don't want to say I was firmly in the in the Chase versus Sewell debate a couple years ago, firmly in the Chase camp. I was in the Chase camp, like, give me the receiver for Joe Burrow, and, you know, that'll offset the offensive line thing. So I'm not – It's but it's not – not everything is, like, perfectly set in stone. Like, the offensive line for the Titans was a massive problem last year. Mm-hmm. You also have a somewhat new regime, right? Second-year GM, first-year head coach, and I think you have to build – from that offensive line if you're if you're Tennessee. I also think that Jamar Chase was a clear blue chip receiver and not as good as the receivers that are potentially available here. No, I mean or better, he's better than Malik Neighbors, in my opinion, right? He's better than Roma Dunze. Maybe they're in a similar range, but I think I think you were talking about legitimate high end receiver in Chase, high end tackle in Sewell. And I think Joe Alt is just better relative to tackles, maybe than these other receivers are. Relative to other receivers, yeah. Um, I think the yeah. more I've thought about it too, though, like tack, like having a first contract tackle who is really good is actually one of the best values in the NFL because that right. their their prices skyrocket. And so I do think that Joe Alt's play is a sprint to the podium move here for Tennessee if he's available. Yeah, I agree with you. I think a lot of people are like, "Hey, why aren't we talking about a little Fashano?" Like I I, I like Fashano, I really do. But I think the NFL is also you, you're going to learn this over the next. You know, month or so, the NFL is, and so are we, worried with how he plays against power, and and that's at the college football level right now. You know, it it only gets tougher when you get to the NFL. I mean, that Ohio State game, I don't know if it was as bad as people want to point out, but there's no doubt about it. Like he struggled with being able to anchor. He struggled when guys were able to get into his chest, and so there's some things that you can do to mitigate that. You know, you can obviously just get a little bit stronger, but I I don't know if he's as just like dense of a dude, you you know, like sometimes you'll, I I don't want to say like in football terms, because we haven't all played football like this, but if you, you know, like playfully just like shove one of your friends or give your friends a good like dap and a, and a, and a, and a handshake or or a hug or whatever, like you can, you can like put your hand on their shoulder or something. You go, damn. All right. That's like hitting a rock. Like that's like, you just like a dense, Somebody's got like dense muscle, like they got a dense body. I I don't know if I, that's the case with Olu compared to like J.C. Latham or Talise Fuaga or Joe All, right? And it's I don't know, maybe he just seems he is more easily moved off the spot. And I wonder if there's just some muscle density that he's never going to be a guy that wins with a lot of power. And I think anytime, no matter what position you play, but specifically in the trenches, if you struggle with power, the NFL is going to go. Mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. Because another thing that I think about with Olu is it's not like he's coming from a bad strength and conditioning program. Like Penn State's one of the best strength and conditioning programs in the country, it feels like. They're putting guys on Bruce Feldman's freak list every year. Some of these guys have these crazy numbers. And so it's like if he could have gotten stronger, and I'm sure that he has, 
Penn State's one of those places that you would have maybe seen that happen over the last three years. So I don't know, just some stuff to think about. And again, it's why I think Joe Alt's tackle one in this class. And if you have an opportunity to take him to seven, I think Titans should sprint up to the board. I agree with you. I, I agree with that. And the, the Fashnu deal too, you might hear a little bit about age and he's young and he's going to develop. I think with tackle historically, the data shows it's not it's not necessarily favorable to draft a 21-year-old versus a 22-year-old versus a 23-year-old. It, it, other positions, it does matter. Like if you're an old productive receiver at 23, it's it's not a complete red flag, but it's more of a red flag where the 21-year-olds being elite matters more. I, I think the 21-year-old offensive lineman, if he has to develop at the NFL level and it takes two years, that's half of his rookie contract, right? Or 40% of his rookie contract. And that matters, right? In the in the value discussion there. So that's what you're debating, I think, with the Fashnu deal and his ability to develop. You know, because maybe three years from now he is great, but that's still are you okay with him developing on the fly at the NFL level? Mm-hmm. We talked Falcons at eight. Bears are back up at nine. So when we're talking Bears, it's gonna be like, hey, number one, we gave them Caleb Williams. What's the best pairing? for the bears to, uh, to move the needle here at nine. It's to me, it's Malik neighbors. Like I think Malik neighbors is their best case scenario at nine. And I think it's somewhat realistic. Um, all three of these wide receivers are really talented and could all be picked in the top five. Like you, again, you can make debates for any of them at four, um, or at five, uh, or at seven. But I do think that Marvin Harrison's going to go off the board first. And then it really is sort of a team preference coin flip with one of these other two guys. And, you're starting to bring offensive linemen into play. You're starting to bring maybe pass rusher into play, corner. I know a lot of people are very high on like a guy like Tara and Arnold or Quinion Mitchell. So it's realistic to think that one of those top three wide receivers can make it to nine. But I feel like whoever it is, their floor is nine. And whether it's a Dunze or neighbors, I don't think Harrison Jr. would get to nine. There's just no way. One of those guys is going to get drafted by the Bears number nine, I think. Uh, so to me, the best case scenario is Malik still being on the board, pairing him with DJ Moore and then Caleb Williams at the top, you would hope. One, one of my questions here is because we've only I'm, – I'm, I feel like I'm going to repeat this every time there's a mock draft, every time we talk about the top ten. We're only talking offense. That's it this year. We're only talking about offensive players. And as much as I want to say it's an offensive-driven game, all that's true. Is there? Will the NFL differ? Like I'm looking the PFF draft board. You mentioned Cooper DeGene as a as a blue chip. He's number eight right now on the current draft board. Drazon mm-hmm. uh, Newton at ten, the defensive tackle out of Illinois. But in the top fifteen, there's a top thirteen. There's only three defensive players. Top twelve is all all offensive players except for two, mm-hmm. and it's all the guys that we've been talking about. Is there a chance that the NFL? is going to be higher on some of the edge defenders, some of the corners. Are we going to see more defensive players come draft night? And so two things there. Are we just too high on the offensive players? Or is like Malik Neighbors at nine, like of course he's going to be there because there'll be a Dallas Turner. There'll be a Latu. There'll be mm-hmm. a Cooper DeGene. There'll be some of these defensive players sprinkled into the top 10 because we're just so offensive-minded right now, I think, in maybe the draft community. If, if we're off... I don't think we're off by much. You know, I'm, I've got a big board update that's coming um, later this weekend. So some of those names that are within the top 15 are going to change a little bit. But when I think of guys that can threaten the, the top 10 uh, from the defense side of the ball, I think of Terion Arnold, the corner from Alabama. 
I think of Byron Murphy the second, the defensive tackle from Texas. I think of Jared Verse because of how powerful he is, and again, how the NFL is not going to worry about power when it comes to Jared Verse. I think he could be an option there. I wonder if Dallas Turner could also be in that conversation. And then Quinion Mitchell, for as good of a senior bowl as he had, I think we heard the buzz that he's going to make a run at that CB1 crown. So if I put Terry and Arnold in there, I think I also have to put Quinion Mitchell in there. So to me, it's those four players that have a shot. But I don't think... I don't think any of them are getting picked before the top five. Some people have the Chargers like thinking about corner because corner is a major need for them. But when you look at both the potential offensive line and wide receiver needs for that team, it makes it really difficult for me to even think that they're going to take a corner at number five. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Tennessee is going to go offense. I think the Giants are going to go offense. Falcons, you could see a... Pick on defense. I think that's where that comes into play. Chicago, okay, could as well. Jets, I don't see a defensive pick. And so it's like, you've got three teams in the top 10 right now who maybe, yeah, I think they could entertain defense. But you know that not all all three of them aren't going to go defense because if a couple of them end up going on defense, that means some good offensive players are moving down the board as well. So I think the maximum amount of defensive players that we're going to get in the top 10 this year is two. I think that's the max. So I don't think we're that far off if we're far off yeah. with our offense. And I'm not saying you're you're not unique here. I mean, this is, you know, look at Dane Brugler's breakdown. Look at anyone, any other draft analyst. We're all talking offensive players in the top 10. It's just the, mm. the nature of the draft. I'm just interested to see if the NFL is a little different. My, bottom line for me, I think with the Bears, though, is I want offensive players. I mean, I, oh, yeah. their defense played better down the stretch. I still think they have a lot of room to improve on that side of the ball. But I want Caleb Williams and a weapon and add that to DJ Moore, add that to Cole Komet, what they have there. I want that I want that other receiver. So I, I'm with you on Malik Neighbors as the best-case scenario for the Bears. Give me the QB wide receiver combination, and I'm happy if I'm a Bears fan. I agree. Which puts the, which puts the Jets up at 10. And they're not picking defense no matter what. No, no, they're not. They're not picking defense. They already got defense figured out. To me, the best case scenario for the New York Jets is in the first round, I would say at number 10. Whichever offensive tackle that's on the board can start and play for them in year one. Like that is that is it, right? I mean, like Dwayne Brown's getting older. Makai Becton's not reliable. Like, sure, you could kick Elijah Vera Tucker to one of those tackle spots, but from what they've done over the last couple of years, it feels like they would like to keep him as an interior. Now, I know, I feel like Connor Rogers over on the Stock Exchange podcast that, that we do together, I feel like he has told me that they're pretty comfortable with him playing offensive tackle now, like moving forward, so maybe that's not the plan anymore. But that was the original plan, was to keep him inside. But even you know, even if you kick Tucker out to one of those offensive tackle spots, you probably have to fill another one with a starter. So, best case scenario is Joe Alt. No, like no question about it. Joe Alt makes it to ten, then uh, you're in business. And I think you're like you said, you're you're the if Joe Alt makes it to number ten, the only reason why the the little ticker thing that says the pick is in isn't going to get past. 14 minutes and 59 seconds is simply because they have too much commercial space that they have to run. And they're like, no, 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 no. We got to keep this thing going. 
because he would be the immediate millisecond put that thing in pick uh, for the New York Jets at 10. But outside of him, you got a lot of right tackle options, which kind of makes it tricky because I like Talise Fuaga. Um, I seem to be higher on JC Latham than other people are. I think both of those guys could get drafted and start very, very soon in their NFL careers, but they've been guys that have played their whole careers at right tackle, or at least on the right side of the line of scrimmage. That's also where Vera Tucker has filled in. So if you're comfortable putting him at tackle, feels like that would be the place where you want to keep him. So can one of those other guys then switch to left? That's a bit of a projection. Or are you okay with Olu Fashano at this point? Olu Fashano's played left tackle. So that's that's kind of where I am with the debate. It just it, Joe Walt is the best case scenario. But outside of him, it's just whichever offensive lineman you think can start for you immediately in year one. Um, I would tell you that the next guy on my board would be Talize Fuaga. But again, then you get into a debate of, who plays right tackle, who plays left tackle. And so it's a little bit more tricky for the Jets, but they just got to find a tackle. 100% with you on the tackle. I think the the tricky part also for the Jets is they feel so desperate right now. You, who knows how much longer Aaron Rodgers is there, even if it's two years. Of all the positions that take time to develop, tackles one of the, you know, sometimes takes the most time. It's hard for a tackle to come in and play well. Obviously, mm-hmm. it happens. We saw Tristan Wirfs do that with with Tampa Bay. We've seen players do it, but we also we've all, we've also seen Andrew Thomas look horrendous for his first season, and then become one of the best tackles in the NFL in year two. Sometimes it takes right. time. Right. Last year's rookie first round tackles, Paris Johnson had a sixty grade, Darnell Wright sixty four, Anton Harrison fifty four, Broderick Jones fifty seven. I mean, those aren't great. Those aren't great. That's not great production. That includes pass blocking, run blocking, whatever. It's still probably an upgrade. It's certainly it's an upgrade over what the Jets had this year, which is a revolving door of terrible. But mm-hmm. just saying, it's very difficult for a rookie tackle to come in and play well. So you're not. I always my one of my draft axioms here, Trevor. You're not drafting for one year, but when you're the Jets, you kind of are. <laughs> yeah, it's like desperate times, right? You put you've put all your eggs into the Aaron Rodgers basket. That's why I do kind of wonder how much they try to like stitch it together in free agency, and maybe but like a receiver could come in. And make a big impact, you know. Do they do they get sharp in free agency and actually pick up two or three starters, you know, of uh, you know, average average they don't have to be great up front, they just have to not be as bad as they were last year. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they get one of those top receivers, and now you're cooking, right? A receiver to go with Garrett Wilson and, and you're you're putting it all together there for Rogers. So I, I'm with you on the tackle, like that is the way to go, but I'm also in like temper expectations mode because picking a tackle at 10 doesn't solve your offensive line problems. It's just a step in the right direction, and it might take a while to get there. And they need wide receiver, too. So people would also be like, well, if one of the top three guys gets here, then you just pick one of them. Maybe that's the best-case scenario. And I would see that argument, but are you okay with the offensive line being the way that it is going into the season then? I I don't think that they would do that trade-off. My advice to every team every year is look at the PFF free agent board and it's not that the board is wrong but i think when you when you get to like 50 to 100 on the free agent board sometimes even lower there are starting caliber offensive linemen in there and if i'm the Mm -hmm. jets i'm loading up on those players you know eight million here six million there and trying to get those players so i'm not desperate i mean the bucks got away with it a couple years ago they needed a tackle they were trying to trade up like crazy 
and they got Tristan Wirfs and he stepped in and he was awesome right away. Mm-hmm. That is uncommon. And so that's where the the Jets are right now. You can't rely on my evaluation is going to be great. My guy is going to be there. Um, so I think they should draft a tackle most likely, but I would do everything I could to like mitigate that need as much as possible leading up to the draft. And then yep. it almost gives you the opportunity if a Dunze is there or something. That's right, like, oh. right. Well, that's, Dunze that... and Garrett Wilson is could be awesome. And that's that's the healthy way to do it, right? You you want to be able to navigate free agency in a way where it frees you up to pick the best player within the realm of team needs that you have, not pigeonhole your biggest need to like, oh, okay, now nah, we'll just address this in the first round, especially when you're picking at number 10. That's It gets more difficult the further down you go. I'm, I'm following along with the PFF mock draft simulator. You can get 30% off any PFF subscription, 30MDS right now. 30MDS is your 30% off promo code over at pff.com 30% off any annual subscription over at pff we should just keep going you want to just go through the top 32 no i'm kidding i got stuff to do brother i know we all do that was fun (laughs) man i appreciate you coming in for sam i I think you're back tomorrow with me right i am yeah oh are you doing it tomorrow is it me and you but you get tomorrow i think so that's what I've been told. I'm filling in. And so, like, I I didn't know if we were going to have uh, – I didn't know who else was going to be hosting it with me. Maybe – I I don't know. I, there was a chance that I could show up and just, like, Colin Cowherd it, you know, and just, like, talk in very slow tempos. Yeah, that's my dream, man. I, I joke about that. Like, when Sam – like, when he went on his vacation last year, I was like, I'm just going to go solo for three weeks, get all my takes out, you know, start conversations with myself, ask a question – and then, as you said, you got to pace it. You got to like really slowly answer. You got to pause for 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 you know dramatic pause. It's it's very important. That is the it's, dream, though. That is an art form. It is an art form. For as much as some people might hate, yeah. like Stephen A. Smith or or Colin Cowherd or whatever, hosting a solo radio show, especially if it's more than an hour, right? Like these guys go for three oh, hours. Yeah. I know. They sometimes kind of repeat the topics just because yeah. they're the big new topics audience. of the day. It's a new audience every right. hour, you know. But still, man, it's that's uh that's an it, it's an art form. It's an art form. I think you could do it. it. I think you could do it. I won't leave you, you out to dry tomorrow, but you know, I think yeah. in the future I feel like you could do it. It's fun though. It's off season now for all 32 teams. Everybody cares, even the Chiefs fans. They want to know how we're gonna get better, how we're gonna dominate even more next year. So it's off season time, time to talk draft, time to talk free agency. So we'll do more of that tomorrow and you know, hopefully. You know, Sam's supposed to take a trip next week, so he's he's gone for like multiple shows here. I'm I'm trying to lock down Rick Spielman for another interview. He was nice, a great discussion last year. Trying to lock him down for early next week, and then uh, we'll go from there. So, Trevor, again, thanks for uh, yeah coming on and talking ball, and we'll do it again tomorrow.